Blog Talk Radio. church I went to, it, it closed down, so they had a special party, and I went to that, and I'm not sure if I, if I slept afterwards or not, I think I might have t- went to sleep, then I know the week before, I, I was tired, so sorry about that, but I'm back, and, well, in case you know that, and then, um, now I'm going to do, do this week's uh, lesson, this is, let me see, I've got to find it. John MacArthur and Killing Sin in Your Life here on Trippy Tolerate. 
The following sermon is by John MacArthur, pastor, author, and Bible teacher with Grace to You. If you've never connected to Grace to You, we want to send you a free book by John called None Other, Discovering the God of the Bible. This detailed look at God's character can strengthen your trust in the Lord and deepen your love for Him. Request your free book by writing to noneother at gty.org. That's noneother at gty.org. The offer is good in North America and Europe through December 2019. And now, unleashing God's truth one verse at a time, here's grace to you Bible teacher John MacArthur. Colossians 3 is the text that we want to look at. I want us to look at this chapter because I'm concerned about this matter of sanctification. This is the will of God. 1 Thessalonians says, even your sanctification. This is the will of God, even your sanctification. That is God's will for us between our justification and our glorification. From the time of your salvation to the time of your entrance into heaven, God's will for you is that you be sanctified. As I said last time, I'm afraid this is a, this is a doctrine that though it defines our entire Christian life on earth, has been treated with indifference by this current generation of Christians and even preachers. But it is of grave concern to the Lord that we be sanctified. That means to be separated, separated from sin unto God, from sin unto holiness. We are to be increasingly like Christ. We are, as we learned last time, to live lives that essentially are heavenly lives rather than earthly lives in that they manifest all the virtues that belong to the Lord and the saints in glory. So let me read the opening nine verses of Colossians 3 as a setting for what we're going to see today. Therefore, if you have been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with Him in glory. Therefore, consider the members of your earthly body as dead to immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed, which amounts to idolatry. For it is because of these things that the wrath of God will come upon the sons of disobedience. And in them you also once walked when you were living in them. But now you also put them all aside, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and abusive speech from your mouth. Do not lie to one another. Since you laid aside the old self with its evil practices and have put on the new self who is being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him. Now, we saw last time that we are called to live the risen life, that we are to reach the world by leaving the world. We are to live lives of seeking, verse 1, the things above. Verse 2, setting our minds on things above, not on things on the earth. 
Now remember that Paul has in this letter, in the first two chapters, demonstrated powerfully the supremacy and sufficiency of the Lord Jesus Christ. He has laid out the realities of His person, the glory of His person as God in human flesh. He has laid out the realities of His atoning work. He has demonstrated that those who are believers in Him are complete in Him. We have in Him all that we need to feel adequate. We don't need human philosophy. We don't need religious ritual. We don't need legalism. We don't need visions and communications with angels or any other kind of uh, self-denial practices. We have all died in Christ and have risen in Christ, and we live in newness of life. That is who we are. We are new creations, alive in Christ, alive from the dead. But as we come to this third chapter, it begins with the word therefore, and then down in verse 5 has another therefore. This is consistent with how Paul structures his letters. There will inevitably be a section of doctrine at the beginning of the letter in which he lays out truth about us, truth about what it means to belong to God in Christ. And then at some point, you will see the word therefore, and the transition takes place from theology to behavior, from doctrine to conduct. And that's what we find in chapter 3. Because of who Christ is and what He's done, because of the fact that we are in Christ and complete in Him, and in Him are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge, and we are complete in Him, because of these realities of our life and death in Christ, because we have everything we need, therefore we need to live consistently with that identity. This is who we are, and it sets the standard for how we are to live. No matter how deep Paul goes in theology, no matter how high are his thoughts, no matter how sweeping his sort of holy reasoning and logic as he unfolds great doctrine, he always comes down off of the mountain of these mysteries of God being explained down into the valley where we live. In light of all these glorious truths, there's a certain way we are to live. To sum it up, look down at verse 17 in chapter 3. Whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks through Him to God the Father. Everything you do, everything you do in word, everything you do in deed, should be consistent with your identity in Christ and should be an offering of thanks given to God the Father. That's how you are to live your lives. That's the sum of it all. Whatever you do, word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ as an expression also of gratitude to God the Father for what He has done. Now, this means on the positive side that you need to live a heavenly life. And that's what we saw in the opening four verses. Seek the things above. Set your mind on the things above. The things that are heavenly. The virtues that belong to the perfect. The perfect God and the perfected believers and the holy angels. 
Live above the world. Leave the world to reach the world. That was the message last time. Now, reality would tell us that's fine. We need to do that. We, we endeavor to do that. We want to live in the heavenlies. We, we want to live, as it were, in Christ consciousness. We, we have died with Him. We have risen with Him. We have been seated on the throne with Him. He is in us and we are in Him and we want to live in a heavenly expression of these realities and we are empowered to do so by the Holy Spirit. But with all that lofty thinking about living the risen life and living in a heavenly way, Paul comes down fast to earthly reality with another therefore in verse 5. If you're going to live the risen life, if you're going to leave the world to reach the world, you're going to have to deal with what remains on earth of your sinfulness. And that requires some very dramatic and consistent practical action and of a strong nature. Look at verse 5. Therefore, consider the members of your earthly body as dead. As dead. Some translations say, kill the members of your earthly body. This is not talking about some a monastic self-castration or flagellation or inflicting some unnatural uh, in wounds or inflictions on your physical body like the ascetics once did. This is not about that. It's, it's, um, it's like what Jesus said in Matthew 5 uh, when he said in verses 29 and 30 that if your right hand offends you, cut it off. If your eye offends you, pluck it out. He's not saying that literally. He's not saying literally do that. What he is saying is deal drastically with anything that causes your hand to act in a sinful way or your eye to see in a sinful way. Deal dramatically with the faculties of your physical body that have a propensity towards sin. And that's what he's saying here. When he's talking about killing, he's talking about killing in the spiritual sense. It's Romans 8.13, if you kill the deeds of the sinful nature, you will really live. If you're going to live this Christian life to the max, you've got to be killing the deeds of the sinful nature. If you're going to live the risen life, that's the positive side, you're going to have to be killing that which threatens that, that which pulls you down into sin. We are new creatures on the inside, as Paul said in Romans 7, but we still have remaining flesh on the outside. And the members of our body, the faculties of our body can be instruments of righteousness or they can be instruments of iniquity. But if we are new creatures, we want to be sure that they are instruments of righteousness. And so we have to be killing the remaining aspects of our flesh. That's part of living the Christian life. Your members of your earthly body are the vehicles through which sin expresses itself. And by members, he doesn't just mean the physical body. He means all your human capacities are still tainted with sin until you are glorified. 
Paul says, I'm still a wretched man. I do what I don't want to do and don't do what I ought to do. Romans 7, with my mind, I affirm the law of God is holy, just, and good. And I want to do that, but I find another principle in me warring against the law of my mind. And I feel like I have a body of death attached to me. And, and that's a true expression. So Paul says, look, uh, not only on the positive side do you want to reach up for all the virtues that basically define holy living in heaven, but you want to remember that you have to deal with the fallenness which still remains in your own life. Fallenness that will show up through the instrumentation of your human body. Your mind, your speech, and your actual conduct. Those are essentially the instruments in which your fallen flesh will express itself sinfully unless you are killing it. It was John Owen who wrote so much on mortifying the flesh, mortifying sin, killing sin. That is the very heart of the Christian life of victory. So we have conflict. We are reaching for heaven and all its virtues, and at the same time killing what remains of this earth and the members which become instruments of sin. Now Paul wants to help us with this. And this is critical. There is a movement today that has an indifference towards sin. You could call it antinomianism, which means it's sort of a an anti-law idea that we have been called into grace and God doesn't care about our sins. Uh, God loves us. Jesus loves us. He doesn't care about whether we sin or not. I think it was the bachelorette who said that this week, profound theologian, <laughs> that it doesn't matter what I do. Jesus loves me anyway. That is a very, very popular idea of Christianity in our world today. But Paul shows us that the Holy Spirit, and therefore God Himself, has a very different perspective. We are not to ignore sin. We are to be killing sin. We are to be considering the members of your earthly body as dead. And then to be specific, He wants to help us, not only with a list of sins that we need to be dealing with, but there's a, there's a certain pathology here that's very helpful. Two lists of sins. One in verse 5, you can see it there, and the second list down in verses 8 and into verse 9. The first list deals with perverted love, and the second list deals with perverted hate. The first list deals with what we do. The second list deals with what we say. The first list is personal. The second list is social. The first list is how we feel. The second list is how we talk. So these are two very, very important lists that act as instruction for us, not an exhaustive list of sins. Paul gives many, many lists of sins in his letters. None of them is intended to be exhaustive. Some of them are just samples of characteristic sins. This is that, but it is more. Because built into these two lists is a certain pathology that will help us greatly in mortifying sin. Let's look at catalog number one 
in verse 5. Therefore, consider the members of your earthly body as dead to immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed or covetousness, which amounts to idolatry. Now notice the sequence. It starts with evil action, immorality, and it ends with idolatry. So it flows from the action back to the motive. That's the pathology you're going to see here. It flows from the action back to the motive. In fact, you go back from immorality to impurity, to passion, to evil desire, and to greed, and to idolatry. Now let me just kind of explain how this pathology works. The word immorality basically refers to any unlawful sexual act. Any unlawful sexual act. And to make life simple for everybody, there's only one lawful sexual act, and that is the sexual relationship between a man and a woman who are married. That's it. That's it. So anything other than that is unlawful and falls into the category of immorality. I'll say it again. God forbids any sexual activity apart from one man and one woman in marriage. But we live in a world that has long since ignored that. We live in a world where virtually any sexual act between any people of any gender is not only to be accepted, but to be basically hailed as an act of personal identity, reality, and authenticity. But God says the only acceptable sexual act is between a man and a woman who are married. Now, this behavior springs from the next word, impurity. Impurity simply means uncleanness. Our Lord's words in Mark chapter 7 help us maybe to see this in Mark 7 and verse 21. Well, we can start in verse 20. Jesus said, that which proceeds out of the man, that is what defiles the man. So when you see the defiling behavior, it's coming from something inside the man. Verse 21, for from within, out of the heart of men, proceed the evil thoughts, fornications, thefts, murders, adulteries, deeds of coveting and wickedness, as well as deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. All these things proceed from within and defile the man. The problem is not outside us, it's what? It's inside us. Immorality is the product of evil thoughts. Sex in behavior is the result of sexually sinful thoughts. You control your mind and you control your sexual conduct. And remember, now, Paul is saying this to people essentially who had come to Christ in a pagan world. 
an utterly pagan world in which all kinds of immorality were acceptable. Having concubines was acceptable. Having women for no other purpose than sexual fulfillment was fully acceptable. Pedophilia was acceptable. Homosexuality was acceptable. Relations before and outside of marriage with virtually anyone was acceptable in the ancient pagan world. And in fact, much of it was part of their religion. There were temple prostitutes associated with false worship to accommodate these freedoms for immoral behavior. So Paul is saying something to the pagan world that is frankly stunning. The only acceptable sexual behavior at all is that between a man and a woman who are married. That's it. And if you don't want to fall into immorality, then you have to make sure you don't have impure thoughts. Because if you cultivate impure thoughts, if you purposely put yourself in a position to expose yourself to the things that produce impure thoughts, you're playing with fire, obviously. So you go from immoral behavior back to what causes that, which is impure thinking. And then the next word is passion. Passion is describing for us something behind impure thoughts. It's some rumbling from deep within our nature, some almost passive term, something that lies latent in us. It reflects a deep-seated fire that can easily fan into flame. And then behind that is the word evil desire, or the term evil desire. Evil desire reaches down a little bit deeper into what we really are. We're susceptible to passion because built into our fallen flesh is evil desire. John calls it the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. James 1, 14 and 15 says that sin starts down in those categories, in those catacombs, in those deep caverns of lust. That's not necessarily something that's stimulated by something we see. It's who we are. We're getting close to the bottom here. People do immoral behaviors because they have immoral thoughts. They have immoral thoughts because they have a built-in propensity to be inflamed in the direction of lusts. They have those passions because there is an evil desire component inside every human being. It's there. can't be denied. But we're not at the bottom. What activates evil desire that inflames passion that leads to impure thoughts and immoral behavior? The next word is greed. Greed. Now we're getting close to the bottom. Greed. Some of your translations might say covetousness. Essentially, it's the same word. Greed or covetousness is the last 
sin listed in the Ten Commandments, the Decalogue, but it really is the basic motive of all sin. It is the last sin in the Decalogue, but it is what is behind all the other sins. It is what was behind Satan's fall. He was greedy. He coveted God's place. It is the desire for what isn't yours. It is the desire for what is forbidden. It is the desire for what is against the will of God. It's the desire for something you have no right to. You're not entitled to. Pleonexia. From two words, pleon, more, exane, to have. The desire to have more than you have. It is the absence of contentment. It is the opposite of contentment. It is the desire to have more, and in the case of the fallenness of the human heart, it is the desire to have more of something you're not entitled to. Jesus considered the covetous heart to be the very source from which all evil rose. The Greeks defined it as the insatiable desire that can never be satisfied to want what you don't have. And the Greeks actually said to satisfy that in the human heart is like trying to fill a bowl with no bottom. And this, of course, is self-seeking pride. When it is directed toward money, it ends up with stealing. When it is directed toward fame, it ends up in boasting. When it is directed toward worldly success, it ends up in selfish ambition. When it is directed toward power, it ends up in exploitation, intimidation, and tyranny. And when directed toward a physical relationship with someone, it ends up in sexual sin. It is the desire to have what you don't have. It is a lack of contentment. It is covetousness. Listen, every sin comes from this. The reason you do any sin is because you have decided that you will do what you have no right to do. You will take what you have no right to take. That's what sin is. And Jesus said, even in the longing, there is sin. Matthew 5, if a man looks on a woman to lust after her, he's committed adultery in his heart. You hear people today say, well, uh, you know, I'm a same-sex attracted person, but... That's not sinful in and, itself, in and of itself. Well, of course it is. Opposite-sex attraction is sinful. Same-sex attraction is sinful because it's a reflection in the heart of a longing for what you don't have the right to have. So, are we at the bottom with greed and covetousness? No. The end of verse 5, which amounts to idolatry. What is idolatry? Worshiping someone other than God, right? What's the top of the 
Ten Commandments. The first one, you shall have no other gods. So, idolatry is the root of all sin. That Now we're at the bottom of this pathological process. Idolatry is at the bottom of every sin. It's when you stop worshiping God and you decide you're going to worship yourself. It's like saying, I will not submit to you as my sovereign. I want what I want. I will be sovereign. You're not going to tell me what I can and cannot have. I will determine what I can or cannot have. Mark it. Though covetousness is the last of the Ten Commandments, by definition it is a violation of the first of the Ten Commandments to have no other gods. Especially not you. It is self-worship. It isn't even so much sex worship or money worship or power worship or fame worship. It is self-worship. It is the opposite of this. Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and all these things will be added. Instead of seeking what is righteous and what is the will of God, you seek what you want. That is idolatry and you have replaced God. This is how the pathology of sin works. You worship yourself. You become greedy then to satisfy yourself. You begin to covet what you have no right to, that rises out of your evil desire, inflames passion, begins to circulate in the mind, and then shows up in the behavior. Back in the previous book, Paul wrote Ephesians 5, there's a very parallel instruction Ephesians 5, verse 3, but immorality or any impurity or greed, there, there's the same words, three out of the five, and these in the same sequence, immorality comes from impurity, which comes from greed, should never be named among you as is proper among saints. These things don't belong to be any part of your life. The Lord does care about these things. There must be no filthiness, silly talk, coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. For this you know with certainty that no immoral or impure person or covetous man who is an idolater has an inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. And let no one deceive you about these things with empty words. Because of these things, the wrath of God comes on the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not be partakers with them. For you were formerly darkness, but now you're light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. And the fruit of light consists in all goodness and righteousness and truth. Exact same message as Colossians. The link is from sexual behavior back to impure thoughts, back to inflamed passion, back to the deep-seated lusts that are part of our fallenness, back to the fact that we are greedy for what we don't have a right to, back to the fact that we worship ourselves rather than God. So don't be so 
ridiculous as to say, Jesus doesn't care what I do because He loves me. It isn't just what you did, it's what you think, it's who you are, and it's blasphemous rebellion against sovereign God. So, starts with idolatry and ends up in sexual behavior. And of course, those two come together with everything in between. A lot of times in the Old Testament, whenever we see idolatry on display, many places in the Old Testament we see that sexual immorality was part and parcel of idolatry. It is in those very religions of the ancient world and even the modern world. So mark it for what it is. Sexual sin is the product of idol worship, and you're the idol. That's the progression. The root of your sin is self-worship. That develops covetousness. Covetousness rises out of our innate evil desire, is flamed into passion, creates evil thoughts, and ends in immorality. So you understand that you have to deal with it at what point? Well, the easiest point to deal with it is at the level where it begins, right? So you deal with it on the basis of what it is. It is idolatry. Anything that you have no right to that you want is a test of who you worship. If you worship God, you say no at that point. If you worship yourself, you say yes at that point. And that's what James says lust wants because then lust conceives and brings forth sin and ultimately sin brings forth death. That is why it is so important, listen carefully, for you to know that the ability to live the Christian life is not related to somebody giving you a pep talk. It is directly related to what you think about God and what you think about yourself. And if you have a superficial view of God and an elevated view of yourself, you're set up to worship yourself and not God. That is what's wrong with all man-centered preaching. It does no help, provides no strength against sin. Because your strength against sin does not come from feeling good about yourself. It comes from feeling terrible about yourself. It comes from a broken and contrite heart, as we saw in Psalm 51. Isaiah 66, God says, Who am I seeking? Whoever has a broken and a contrite heart and trembles at My Word. No one can give you anything more powerful than a deep and wide, high understanding of God. If you are consumed with the glory of God, if you are consumed with the truth of Christ, if the Word concerning Christ dwells in you richly, if your theology of God is deep and true, you are a true worshiper and sin is dealt with at the very foundation level. You are not going to be an idol worshiper who puts yourself in the place of God. When you hear people 
preaching trying to make people feel better. This is absolutely antithetical to true sanctification. So the Christian needs to be killing the corrupting things, and at the base of those corrupting things is idolatry. How serious is it to kill sin? Look at verse 6. It is because of these things that the wrath of God will come upon the sons of disobedience. The kind of things that we're talking about here, immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, greed, and idolatry, are the sins that damn people to hell forever. These are the sins upon which the everlasting wrath of God is spent on the sons of disobedience. In other words, people are sent to hell forever for these kinds of behaviors. Why would you engage in them? You have been rescued from the wrath of God. You have been empowered by the Holy Spirit. Verse 7, he says, "...in them you also once walked..." When you were living in them, look, for two reasons you don't do this. One, these are the very things that God punishes unbelievers in hell for forever, and you know better because you have lived there before. Why would you go back? Why would you go back? Modern attitude of antinomianism, the modern attitude of Condoning any kind of sin finds no support from God at all. Because you are to live out heavenly virtues. You are to be mortifying sin all the way down at its core, which is idolatry. Because these are the very things that God pours out eternal wrath on, and these are the very things that you were saved from. That was your former life. 1 Corinthians 6, such were some of you, but you are washed, verse 11, and you are sanctified. There's a second catalog here in verse 8 and 9. Catalog 2 is perverted hate. There are some things we ought to hate, all sin, all unrighteousness, all that offends God. But here is a kind of hate that is directed at people. Now you also put them all aside, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and abusive speech from your mouth. Do not lie to one another. That's catalog number 2. Here he begins the opposite way. In the first catalog, he began with the deed, the act, and went back to the foundational motive. Here he begins with the motive and moves toward the deed. The motive is anger that develops into wrath, that releases malice, that turns into slander and abusive speech and lying. Paul is just saying, look... Put off, verse 8. Put all aside. It's, it's a verb used to throw off dirty clothes. Perhaps it's a picture of the life of early Christians. When they were baptized, they would come and put off their old outer garment and 
go into the waters to be baptized. And then when they came out, they would be given a new white robe as a symbol of their being clothed in the righteousness of Christ. And Paul is saying you need to lay aside the old lifestyle. And in this particular category, he's not talking about what we do, but what we say. The vicious, vicious capacity that we have to use our verbal member for violent sin. And he looks down at what comes out of the mouth, and he goes all the way to where it arises from, anger, anger, or gay, deep down smoldering hostility. Deep down smoldering hostility. That too is a product of uh, self-worship. Somebody offended you, really? And you took it seriously like you were that important? Your deep down smoldering anger is idolatry. You're worshiping yourself, not God. It bursts forth in wrath. That is thumos. That's a blaze of sudden fury. You start then with this deep-seated anger that's down in your self-worshipping heart, and it explodes. The Greeks used this word to describe uh, the kind of fire that burned up grass or straw, quickly inflamed. Deep-seated anger explodes in wrath and leads to malice, a general term for moral evil. It, uh, it's just evil in a broad sense. And this has to do with how you speak. So it's evil in your heart, evil intent that results in slander. This is the word for blasphemy. And not just God, but people, defaming people. Well, this is part of our society, is it not? In my ever-lengthening lifetime, um, there is more slander going on now than any time I've ever seen in my entire life. And it's not just in the culture, it's, it's even among quote-unquote evangelicals who are slandering one another over issues like identity, racial, ethnic distinctions. It's, it's a terrible, terrible expression of the deep-seated anger that is part of our remaining fallenness. Slander then produces abusive speech. Abusive speech. It's not speech to borrow Paul's words in Ephesians where he says in verse 29 of chapter 4, Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is good to build up according to the need of the moment so that it will give grace to those who hear. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Exact same words as we saw in Colossians. 
Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ has forgiven you. We should be full of forgiveness, not constantly indicting everyone. This is unacceptable, abusive, obscene, blasphemous language that blasphemes other people. Why would we think for a moment that the Lord would be pleased with that no matter what we think justifies it? Listen to what our Lord said in Matthew 12. You brood of snakes, how can you being evil speak what is good? For the mouth speaks out of that which fills the heart. The good man brings out his good treasure, what is good. And the evil man brings out his evil treasure, what is evil. But I tell you that every careless word that people speak, they shall give an accounting for it in the day of judgment. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. We ought to be speaking what is edifying, what is comforting, what is encouraging, what is virtuous, what is godly. But if there is deep-seated anger smoldering in our hearts, it will burst into wrath. It will result in evil, which shows up in slander and blasphemy of others. And then on top of that, verse 9, do not lie to one another. Lying. The truth will take a back seat to our agenda. And we will say whatever we need to say to express our anger or our self-worship. Lies, lies are protectors of self-worship. Satan lied in deceiving Eve. Adam and Eve lied to God, attempting to evade responsibility. Cain lied to God about his brother. Abraham lied to Sarah. Sarah lied to the angels. Sarah lied to the king of Gerar. Isaac lied, denying Rebekah was his wife. Rebekah and Isaac lied in the conspiracy against Esau. You're, you're still in the book of Genesis, and you got everybody's a liar. You haven't even gotten out of Genesis. Because Satan is the father of lies. Paul is horrified that we would be so idolatrous as to live with smoldering anger that unleashes itself on people and justifies itself and even leads to lies to fulfill its agenda. Paul is horrified of that. We must be mortifying those things. And you better start all the way down at the bottom with that whole issue of self-worship. Your anger is connected to self-worship. And it smolders until something fans it. We should be marked, even when genuinely offended, by forgiveness. Where is that? Jesus said, 70 times 7. That's how many times you forgive. So, 
We are told here in this matter of sanctification to reach up and live with heavenly virtues. That's the, the upside. The downside is to realize that we have to kill the members of our body that still are fleshly. And we have to deal with sin at its very foundational point, its very origin, which is idolatry. How do you control that? How do you do that? At the lowest level then, where idolatry breeds all of this, if you are a God worshiper and a Christ worshiper, the battle is won. And the more you know about God and the more you know about Christ and the more you love God and the more you love Christ, the more you submit gladly. Sin is simply a manifestation of self-worship and rebellion against God. See it for what it is. Deal with it at the level you have to deal with it. We live in the heavenlies, yes. But we also have to be realistic about the flesh. And Paul calls us to both. Father, again, we thank You this morning. It's been such a joy and privilege for us to be together, to sing and pray and listen to Your Word. What a high and holy time we've had. And, Lord, we want to be a sanctified people. We want to be so consumed with worshiping You and loving You that we eagerly keep Your commandments. We thank You for revealing so much about Yourself, so much about who You are, the glory of Your person, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Thank You for revealing so much about us and warning us about idolatry. Lord, help us to live so conscious of Your glory and Your majesty that we love You supremely that we love You with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And if we love You like that, there, there never will be a, a replacement for You, certainly not us. And Lord, remind us that sin is always the result of dethroning You and usurping Your sovereignty for ourselves. This is a violation of the first commandment. This certainly is a violation of loving You with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And if we love You that way, we will keep Your commandments. We desire to be a, a heavenly people. Yes, we desire to be focused on all the, the holy virtues that are present in heaven. At the same time, we want to be realistic and be mortifying the flesh at the very ground level, cutting, cutting it off at the roots by never, ever worshiping ourselves. Lead us in the path of righteousness and holiness for Your glory, and may we do whatever we do, in word or deed, all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and with gratitude to You, our glorious God and Father.
Amen. You've been listening to John MacArthur, Bible teacher with Grace to You. For free access to all of John's lessons and a listing of study Bibles and books available for sale, visit Grace to You's website at gty.org. And for details about the Masters University, where John serves as Chancellor, go to masters.edu. John MacArthur and Grace to You reserve all copyright protection under applicable law. Our copyright policy is available at gty.org, and it includes instructions for and limitations on duplicating this digital file. Thinking how does one define wise Feels like yesterday I was a newcomer Fresh in the game, ready to make the truth thunder But as the beat plays, they lose wonder After a few summers, the band's ready for a new drummer Doesn't matter if you're not ready yet Yesterday I was a cadet, now they call me a vet But it's part of common sense that the artist time will end To the young, this topic can be hard to comprehend They don't come close to understanding How you can go from most demanded To abandoned in the ocean stranded Surrounded by the waves of your weariness Some things you only learn from age and experience And it's plain to me that all the famous men you see The time is coming when they will be a faded memory Cause one day you hot, the next day you not One day you on top, next day you get dropped Yeah, what in the world was your mind thinking? You couldn't see the sand of time sinking Cause one day you hot, the next day you not One day you on top, next day you get dropped, yeah Better plan for the future, kid Time catches up to everyone, no matter who it is Whatever happened to so-and-so, that's what they wanna know Eventually we learn that they all come and go Today's rising star, tomorrow dies with scars Today they all struck, tomorrow you washed up I remember watching Jordan's Hall of Fame speech Thinking this is what it's like to watch the lame reach and gasp But he tries to grasp what lies in the past Never to return what lies in the past Did he tell himself, was he lost or sober? Did he know it was all but over? The moment that AI crossed him over If I could be like, didn't include dying light Let's shine the light on the one they call Iron Mike Nowadays he's known for being all weird But back in 88, nobody was more feared the peak of his powers, his opponents would retreat in moments he would eat and devour. Snuff with punches, but we must discuss this. Crushed it just enough to trust his toughness. Pride brings us to justice. You puffed up with smugness? You gonna meet Buster Douglas. Amazing that, which blazed like Petro. The new praise that made the waves in the metros. Was praised for days, but just a phase like retros. And fades like echoes. Echoes, echoes, echoes. Cause one day you hot, the next day you not One day you on top, next day you get dropped, yeah What in the world was your mind thinking? You couldn't see the sand of time sinking Cause one day you hot, the next day you not One day you on top, next day you get dropped, yeah Better plan for the future, kid Time catches up
up to everyone, no matter who it is. What I'm speaking on is seriously welcomed by the few. Even no experience to tell you that it's true. On your radio station, this won't be found on the playlist. Wisdom, the sound of the stages, resounding for ages. The older I get, I notice it. The whole of the script, hmm, it's found in the pages. A holy writ, not the cash speech of the reverend. But what a man sees under heaven. Ecclesiastes 111. No matter who you are, death aims to stop you. Whether banker, doctor, or Frank Sinatra. Before your time is done, meet the timeless one. The dying, death-defying, rising, shining sun. King Jesus astounds and amazes. He pounded the pavement to save those who were bound to their cages. So let us praise the one who made the Everglades. Our debt was paid, so in glory we'll never fade. Never fade. Never fade. Without excuse, this is Ken Ham, an Aussie transplant with a passion for sharing the truths of God's Word. Romans chapter 1 says it's so obvious that God created the world, we're without excuse if we don't acknowledge the Creator. Well, this week we're going to look at five animals that are clear handiwork of God. The first one has a bill like a duck, spurs like a rooster, poison like a snake, web feet like an otter, and a tail like a beaver. The creature is from down under the platypus. Its bill features electroreceptors that pinpoint organisms among the pebbles at a river bottom. Now, the receptors can actually sense electrical currents from tiny muscle contractions made by crayfish. You see, it didn't evolve. It was designed by our Creator. Discover more about God's amazing creation when you visit AnswersRadio.com. You'll be equipped and encouraged when you visit our award-winning website at AnswersRadio.com.
Sweet testimony to the Creator. This is Ken Ham, author, speaker, and blogger on science and the Bible's reliability. Next time you see a honeybee, think of this. These hard-working insects use the most efficient shape possible to store their honey. They know how to keep their hive at just the right temperature. And they have leg hairs with the perfect electrostatic charge to transfer pollen. And that's not all. Bees dance to tell other bees about a food source. Their figure eight dance tells others the exact angle they need to fly relative to the sun to find food. And since the sun changes position, they even know how to compensate for that in their dance. You see, these creatures didn't evolve. They show off their mighty creator God. Evidence that God created the world and that the Bible's history is true is all around us. Discover more on our website at AnswersRadio.com. The website to check out is AnswersRadio.com. Writing this to you, I really hope you hear my heart When thinking about describing you, I really don't know where to start Can't start at the beginning, cause you are before the beginning Way before the beginning, and this fallen world's distorted opinions It was just the holy trinity, ruling from infinity Glory blazed tremendously, loving one another endlessly Billions, billions of years ago, outside of what we know as time Nobody else was there to know, but Lord, here's the thing that blows my mind As long ago as that was Long ago as that was, you have not changed, Lord, oh Lord, 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 as long ago, as long ago, as long ago as that was, you're still the same, you have not changed, what can that mean, but my God is immutable, immutable, you are beautiful, you never change, you remain the Beautiful, beautiful, you never change, never change. Forever you reign, you remain the same. 
just the other day How you reign supreme by far Not just because of what you do But simply because of who you are There's none like you in existence You are God and you need no assistance Even though we show you resistance You sent Jesus to close the distance That existed between God and man According to your sovereign plan We changed many times in one lifespan I've changed even since this song began Lord, I'm so glad that you're not like us All that you do will certainly last You are the rock that we can trust Shows us back in eternity past As long ago as that was as long ago as that was, you have not changed, Lord, oh Lord, Lord, Lord. As long ago, as long ago, as long ago as that was, you're still the same, you have not changed. What can that mean? But my God is immutable. Immutable, you are beautiful, you never change, you remain the All of my inconsistencies, all of my idiosyncrasies, still you pursue relentlessly. At times I wonder how this can be. Surely it's because of the cross. When Jesus paid the full penalty and bore the burden of sin's great cost. I'm saved by grace and faith in God. I look to Christ and I trust He died. So even though I'm being sanctified, I can't be any more justified. His work is finished, that cannot change. And with this knowledge, I am free. Forever this grace, it will remain because of what happened on Calvary. As long ago as that was. Long ago as that was, you have not changed, Lord. Oh Lord, Lord, Lord. As long ago, as long ago, as long ago as that was, you're still the same. You have not changed. What can that mean? But my God is immutable. Immutable, you are beautiful. You never change. You remain the same. Immutable, beautiful, you never change, never change, forever you reign, you remain the same, you will never change, you will never change, immutable, beautiful, you never change, never change. The King of the Beast. This is Ken Ham, often interviewed on radio and TV on the Bible's reliability. So what's the king of the beasts? The blue whale. It's a king-sized beast weighing in at 200,000 pounds. And being that big requires some unique design features. Blue whales eat four tons of food every day. And eating requires swallowing and filtering huge amounts of water. As blue whales lunge at a patch of krill, the water forces their mouth to open 90 degrees. But how can they close their mouth against the force of such water? Well, a special structure in their jaw helps them do just that. All these features were designed. There's no way they evolved. Discover more about science and the Bible when you visit our website at AnswersRadio.com and subscribe to receive free daily email insights from Ken Ham at AnswersRadio.com.
Now, did bats evolve twice? This is Ken Ham on a mission to strengthen the global church with God's Word. Many bats use echolocation to find their food. Now, this complex process starts by sending out ultrasonic calls, too high-pitched for us to hear. But the sound can be so loud that bats must protect their ears by contracting their ear muscles each time they call out. The call then bounces off objects and creates a sound mat for the bat. It's so precise that bats are deadly hunters of the insects they enjoy. Now, there are two groups of bats that are so different, most evolutionists believe bats evolved twice. And they believe echolocation evolved four times. But bats didn't evolve, they were created. Plan your visit to our full-size Noah's Ark at the Ark Encounter when you go to AnswersRadio.com and get equipped to think biblically about science at AnswersRadio.com. Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine.
sorry about that. Um, that was uh, Go Fish with Blessed Assurance, and I was in the kitchen getting some something to eat. <laughs> uh, thanks for listening to Tribute Call Radio, and uh, now um, this is Rancher and Genesis. A sticky problem? This is Ken Ham, encouraging all churches to start their thinking with God's Word. A gecko lizard's most famous ability is to walk upside down or across a window. You see, tiny hairs much thinner than our own compose ridges on gecko's feet. And each hair splits into even tinier hair ends. Now this creates a special attraction so strong that a gecko can hang upside down by a single toe. To unstick, the gecko simply changes the angle of the hair and away it goes. And fossilized geckos, even from supposedly 100 million years ago, have the same foot structure as geckos today. That's because God created them. They didn't evolve. Discover more about God's incredible creation when you visit our website at AnswersRadio.com and subscribe to receive free insights from Ken Ham at AnswersRadio.com. Of the lamb's death, 
So as we're lifting up our praise for you, receive it, Lord. The object of our affection, who we adore, falling in our misery. You thought it into history, the pardon of iniquity, startling the mystery. The ocean, the plains, the mountains, the rain, the universe proclaims the glory of your name. And what am I that you called me to your side? And took this heart of stone and broke it open wide. featuring Clinton, and you can um, find him at lampmode.com, dot com. and now one from Bookfish called Stories here on Trippy Torrid.
it's just go fish and you find them at gofishguys.com, G-O-F-I-S-H-G-U-I-S dot C-O, gofishguys.com, and that was a song story. And now this is from what WWTD when we understand text here on Tributary. <laughs> In Matthew 16, Jesus asked his disciples, Who do you say that the Son of Man is? Peter replied, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus said, Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. Now let's play a game. What is this rock on which Christ would build his church? Is it A, Peter, B, Peter's confession, C, Christ, or D, all of the above? If you guessed Peter, you are correct, but not if you're Catholic. The Bible says Christ is the foundation and head of the church, so in no way was he giving either of those titles to Peter and some successive line of popes. Peter is a lesser stone. The true rock is Christ. Do you know who said that? Peter. In fact, we're all lesser stones being built into a spiritual house unto the Lord. Paul said the church is built on a foundation of all the apostles. Christ is the cornerstone, meaning every other stone is set in relation to him. But what is all that stuff about Peter loosening and binding on earth and in heaven? Though Jesus was speaking directly to Peter in Matthew 16, he wasn't speaking exclusively to Peter, as he gave the same promise to the whole church in Matthew 18. All Christians are living stones like Peter, being driven to the house of God when we understand the text. That is when we understand text, and you can find out on YouTube is WWUTT, WWUTT, and also WWUTT. Dot com at www.tv.com And here's another song, WTTD, when we understand the text. In Matthew 16:18, Jesus said, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. This reference to gates of hell is often taken to mean that any attempt of Satan to mount an attack against the church will not succeed. Now that's certainly true, and history testifies. 2,000 years since the first Christians were baptized at Pentecost, the church is still growing. Saints are added daily through the preaching of the gospel all over the world in the face of opposition. Every effort to stop the mission has failed. Not lies, evil, insults, hardships, or persecutions. The devil has not prevailed. But that's not the same thing as saying the gates of hell will not prevail. Gates are not offensive weapons. They're used for defense. So in this particular instance, Jesus was not referring to hell mounting an attack against the church. He was saying the church will be attacking hell. Psalm 913 says that the Lord lifts us up from the gates of death, the same gates Jesus called the gates of hell. Christ lift these gates off their hinges when he gave his life on the cross for our sins and rose again from the grave. God has commissioned the church to deliver the good news that all who believe in Jesus will be saved from death and have everlasting life. We've been given our marching orders, and when we preach the gospel of Christ, we storm the gates of hell. The gospel is the power of God for salvation for all who believe, and not even the curse of death can stop it when we understand the text. Like I said, that's why we understand the text. 
and you can find them on YouTube at WWTT and also www.utt.com and they also have um, another channel I think it's called WWUT Text and he goes further into into lessons that he talked about on there. Let's see, make sure that's right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh w- yeah, I was right. It's W W U T text the T E X T at And let's see what I'm gonna do next is I'm going to play a song. This is going to go through the shackles phrase from here on Truth Be Told Radio.
Hey, yo, they said it was over, man. They said it was over. But it ain't over. We just getting started. Yo, 7,000, we all at. Let's go. Stand up, stand up. If you truly love the son of man, trust. Jesus is alive and his people he'll revive. And his fame is going to spread across the land. What's up? Stand up, stand up. Does anybody love the son of man? Trust. Jesus is the king, so his people we will sing. And forever say worthy is the land. What's up? His death, burial, and resurrection More power than gravity His knowledge and strategies confound the academy Bow to his majesty He paid sin's salary Took up blame on Calvary Those who love his name spread his fame is the policy All eyes on the mattress price of his sacrifice Let's prize our master Christ and rise in the afterlife What, did we forget about the holiness of God or something? Did we forget that God owes us a rod or something? See the snake bruise when Christ came to save dudes Who hate truth, the gospel is not fake news the gospel sweeter than it's ever been Ain't nothing changed, let us in, we got the medicine It's still human emergency, the serpent attack You think Jesus can't save? That's alternative facts Stand up, hands up If you truly love the son of man, trust Jesus is alive and his people he'll revive And his fame is gonna spread across the land What's up? Stand up, hands up Does anybody love the son of man? Trust Jesus is the king, so his people we will sing And forever say my composition, lots of rhythm but not traditional, no kind of different, but God's consistent, no contradiction, my proposition, through crucifixion, he mocked and crippled his opposition, it's not some fiction, I'm spitting, the son of God is risen, and my incentive for godly living is I'm forgiven, Jesus came to unlock the prison, and through the spirit, he brings a new birth like an obstetrician, at times I listen, a lot of Christian hip-hop is missing, the proposition, it's my suspicion, we drop the mission, not to this, but the word of God, is it not sufficient, the doctrine is that the gospel fixes our shock and God the Spirit supplies conviction through proper diction Against the backdrop of our tradition, the gospel glistens A squad of Christians go out and witness a God's commission Cause Jesus Christ got the top position, no competition Stand up, hands up If you truly love the Son of Man, trust Jesus is alive and his people he'll revive And his fame is gonna spread across the land What's up? Stand up, hands up Does anybody love the Son of Man? Trust Jesus is the King, so his people we will sing and forever say worthy is the land. What's up? They want Jesus in the background like elevator music, but we gon' celebrate him, relegate him, we refuse it. They hate Christian hip-hop, I peep myself. They say we too redundant, well let me repeat myself. What I gotta say almost feels too real estate. Sit back and feel the weight of what a real estate. Cause yo, Jesus Christ got me in the real estate. I'm purchased property, I feel like I'm real estate. If the Father wasn't gracious, no sin in him. Again, he came straight blameless, no sin in him. Again, nothing's been the same since, no sin in him. Again, fakers lack his fragrance, no sin in him. This is not the picture in a frame to still Jesus. Nah, we serve the rock, the harder than still Jesus. So how we gonna be silent, let the world still Jesus. When the world and its trends pass away, it's still Jesus. Then, up, hands up, if you truly love the Son of Man, trust, Jesus is alive and his people he'll revive and his fame is gonna spread across the land, what's up, stand up, hands up, does anybody love the Son of Man, trust, Jesus is the King, so his people we will sing and forever say worthy is the land, what's up, Worthy is the land. What's up? <laughs>
yeah Man, it's crazy how time flies My mind tries to sit still Thinking how does one define wise Feels like yesterday I was a newcomer Fresh in the game, ready to make the truth thunder But as the beat plays, they lose wonder After a few summers, the band's ready for a new drummer Doesn't matter if you're not ready yet Yesterday I was a cadet, now they call me a vet But it's part of common sense that the artist time will end To the young, this topic can be hard to comprehend They don't come close to understanding How you can go from most demanded To abandoned in the ocean stranded Surrounded by the waves of your weariness Some things you only learn from age and experience And it's plain to me that all the famous men you see The time is coming when they will be a faded memory Cause one day you hot, the next day you not One day you on top, next day you get dropped, yeah What in the world was your mind thinking? You couldn't see the sand of time sinking Cause one day you hot, the next day you not One day you on top, next day you get dropped, yeah Better plan for the future, kid Time catches up to everyone, no matter who yeah. it is Whatever happened to so-and-so, that's what they wanna know Eventually we learn that they all come and go Today's rising star, tomorrow dies with scars Today they all struck, tomorrow you washed up I remember watching Jordan's Hall of Fame speech Thinking this is what it's like to watch the lame reaching gas But he tries to grasp what lies in the past Never to return, what lies in the past Did he tell himself, was he lost or sober? Did he know it was all but over? The moment that AI crossed him over If I could be like, didn't include dying light Let's shine the light on the one they call Iron Mike Nowadays he's known for being all weird But back in 88, nobody was more feared at the peak of his powers, his opponents would retreat in moments he would eat and devour. Snuffed with punches, but we must discuss this. Crushed it just enough to trust his toughness. Pride brings us to justice. You puffed up with smugness? You gonna meet Buster Douglas. Amazing that, which blazed like petrol. The new praise that made the waves in the metro. Was praised for days, but just a phase like retro. And phase like echoes. Echoes, echoes, echoes. Cause one day you hot, the next day you not One day you on top, next day you get dropped, yeah What in the world was your mind thinking? You couldn't see the sand of time sinking Cause one day you hot, the next day you not One day you on top, next day you get dropped, yeah Better plan for the future, kid Time catches up to everyone, no matter who it is What I'm speaking on is seriously welcomed by the few Even no experience to tell you that it's true On your radio station, this won't be found on the playlist Wisdom, the sound of the stages, resounding for ages The older I get, I notice it The whole of the script, hmm, it's found in the pages A holy writ, not the cash speech of the reverence But what a man sees under heaven Ecclesiastes 111 No matter who you are, death aims to stop you Whether banker, doctor, or Frank Sinatra Before your time is done, meet the timeless one The dying, death-defying, rising, shining sun King Jesus astounds and amazes He pounded the pavement to save those who were bound to their cages So let us praise the one who made the Everglades Our debt was paid, so in glory we'll never Never fade, 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 never fade. That was 
Shadow was one day, and if you'll find out more about Shadow, like I said earlier, go to lampmo.com. Shadow is spelled S H A I and then L I N N E, and that was L A M P M O D E dot C M. That's their record, his record label. And now, this is called Big Questions, Questions, Short Answers from Wretched on their YouTube page. And this is called Can Women Be Pastors here on Tributory. Question, can women be pastors? Whilst many might consider this a controversial question, I say it should be a joyful question. Let's see what the Bible says. First Timothy chapter 2, let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness. I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. Please note, the issue here is authority. Who leads? Who follows? Paul answered that question repeatedly. First Timothy chapter 3, therefore an overseer, a pastor, an elder, must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, not the wife of one husband. He repeated that in Titus 1. R.C. Sproul summarizes it well. This is a question that has torn churches apart for 50 years. For the last 2,000 years, however, it's been almost unheard of to have ordained women in the churches, although not completely unheard of, and the reasons for that have to do with the concerns set forth in the New Testament. In other words, the Bible makes it clear, and we submit to what it says, and not what culture teaches. The implications, yeah, they're, they're pretty big. Number one, men only are permitted to be pastors because of the created order. The question about women being pastors in the New Testament is actually established in the very first book of the Old Testament. Number two, men and women have different roles in life to complement one another. This is better for us. Women have some skills. Men have other skills. You put us together, and we complement each other with lots of skills. Implication number three, just because women are called to be submissive doesn't make them less than men or less loved by God. Jesus was submissive to the Father and he certainly is not less than the Father. That should be of comfort. Jesus submits to the Father, and he certainly is not less, nor is a woman less than a man because of what the Bible teaches. The big question, can a woman be a pastor? The short answer, the office of pastor is reserved for males. Oh, imagine my surprise that you're still here. Hey, if you'd like more Wretched, because apparently you've got enough free time, would you like this video, subscribe to this channel, and we will give you Wretched till it's coming out of your nose. Find out more about them on Wretched.org, Wretched.org, and then also to see their other uh, 
YouTube uh, videos, go to Wretched. That's W-R-E-T-C-H-E-D, Wretched. And thanks for listening. We will catch you here on Truth or Tall Radio. And see, go play another song. This is called Sweet Song of Salvation here on Truth or Tall Radio. I love to tell the story. It will be my theme and glory to tell the old, old story of Jesus and His love.
apologies. And join us next time, 2 p.m., 4 p.m. Pacific time on uh, Sundays. And going out with Yaki and friends and the VIBLE. Bye for now.